Lord, thank you that even brief, short verses pack a punch. And so help us to learn today what you'd like us to learn from this text. Help us, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts, open our minds, bring your influence to bear upon this this time, this conversation, if you will. Lord, that we might actually become prayers and effective prayers. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? James chapter 5 actually talks about the idea that the effective prayer of a righteous person makes a big difference. And in the Bible, a righteous person is not just a person who does righteous stuff. It's a person who's been identified by God as having received his grace and having become a follower of Jesus. God calls us righteous. He designates us as righteous people. And what James is getting at is that there's a way to pray that's effective, which suggests that it's possible to pray ineffectively. Would you agree with that? And so hopefully today, you'll learn a little bit more about praying effectively so that your prayers actually make a difference. There's three questions we're gonna look into today as we're exploring the, the, the topic of simple practices that help us connect with God. Some people would call what we're talking about holy habits. These three questions, what is prayer? why pray, and also how or when to pray. What is prayer? I've been asking myself that question. I have been praying for a long time, even actually before I became a follower of Jesus, which is true of most Americans. Most Americans pray. Most people in the world actually pray. They, perhaps some of them, treat prayer like buying a lottery ticket. They're not so sure they're gonna be a winner but they'd like to give themselves a chance. So just in case, they'll, they'll pray. And uh, I remember a story about, uh, about a boxer who got into the ring, and he did the sign of the cross. As he was, you know, he was all gloved up. His, his opponent was across the ring from him, and uh, there was a fan who was sitting next to a Catholic priest, and the fan said, Father, is, is that gonna help him? Doing the sign of the cross, is that gonna help him? And the priest said, if he can box. So that's the way some of us think about prayer, but we want to learn to pray in a way that actually makes a difference. So I think prayer is actually primarily about being intentional about creating some space in your life to experience God. Just mull that over. Prayer is being intentional about creating some space to experience God. And experiencing God is really what we're after. And I think that'll become clear as I share this morning. And prayer usually includes a focus on these five things. I find that when I pray, almost without exception, I find myself focusing on my relationship with God. I find myself wrestling with God's purposes and how they intersect with my own, my own reason for being. I also find myself thinking about how I can invite God into every area of my life so that I can experience the benefit of his his influence. 
I find myself interested in learning about making requests for things I need for myself and, and for others too. And I find myself also wanting to worship God, wanting to thank him, wanting to acknowledge that the good stuff that happens isn't by luck. It's not by chance. The Bible says every good thing that happens comes down from above. So why pray? Why pray? Well, according to the Bible, prayer, prayer makes a difference. You know, Jesus thought so. Jesus said there's a harvest of people who are ready to respond to me. They are ready to say yes to the purposes of God, but we need laborers. And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest, and he was speaking about himself. He was essentially saying, pray to me that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the ripened harvest field. Now, why would Jesus ask us to pray for laborers to go into the ripened harvest field if prayer didn't make a difference? And also, in Luke's gospel, we find that before Jesus was crucified, right before he was betrayed, he's having a conversation with Peter. Now, Peter is one of his followers who's pretty sure of himself. Jesus has announced that all of them are going to forsake him, and one of them will betray him. And Jesus said, you know, Peter, Satan has, has asked to demand, has actually asked or demanded to sift you like wheat. And then he added, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you so that your strength won't fail. Jesus believed prayer would make a difference for Peter. God believes Prayer makes a difference. God the Holy Spirit prays. Romans 8.26 says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Have you found that to be true? That prayer can be difficult, it can be challenging, it can be confusing. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit, who is God the Spirit, he helps us with this weakness of not knowing how to pray. And he prays for us. And it says he prays according to the will of God on our behalf, and then in the same chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 34, it says Jesus too is praying for us. So God the Holy Spirit and God the Son pray. And if they pray, it, it means, it suggests, doesn't it? Doesn't it imply that prayer must make a difference? Well, Paul thought prayer made a difference. Look at all of these texts in the New Testament where Paul requests prayer from the people that he's writing for. And then sometimes he lets them know, and I'm praying for you. I think this is a good, a good moment in history, in the history of our nation, to remember a particular passage about praying for leaders. In 1 Timothy 2, the first five verses, Paul says, first of all, I urge that prayers be made on behalf of all people. And he says, not just prayers, but petitions, which means to come to God again and again and again for the same thing. And then he mentions supplications, which means there's an emotional component to it. I want prayers and petitions and supplications made on behalf of all people. And then, and then he introduces this idea and leaders, people who are in leadership. He mentions kings and all who are in authority, and then he tells you why we should pray for people in leadership roles. He says, so that we, we followers of Jesus, can live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and dignity, and then he adds, for 
This pleases God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul believed that it was important for Christians to pray could it, because it could affect their experience of life. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and dignity. I mean, who wants trouble? Who wants warfare? Who wants economic collapse? Who wants hardship? I learned that 57% of Americans, if they, if they get into a pinch, fin- pinch financially, don't have the ability to get their hands on $1,000, should they, should they face an emergency that would require an expenditure of that much? 57%. Here the Bible says God wants us to live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and dignity. And he wants people to be saved. So Paul says pray, pray for leaders, even leaders who don't know God and leaders who do because God can influence them. God isn't about controlling people, but he is about influencing people. So, why pray? It makes a difference. Jesus thought so, Paul thought so, so did James. You may remember that James in the fourth chapter of his book said, you don't have because you don't ask. There's things that you want, but you don't receive because you're not asking God. And then in the fifth chapter, he says, when you're sick, Call for the elders of the church and have them pray for you. And if they can pray in faith, it says you're going to receive healing. Prayer is intended to influence outcomes. The author of the book of Hebrews, we don't know who that person was, but that person believed that prayer made a difference. That person said in chapter 13, he said, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Maybe he or she was in prison. We we don't know. But pray. I urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. You know, even science thinks prayer makes a difference. There's done all kinds of studies to find out that there's a connection between praying and outcomes of the the patients who were the recipients of prayer. It's, It's something that's kind of fun to Google. So there's all of these people who thought that prayer made a difference, and science too. But then, another reason to pray is because prayer is an antidote for anxiety. You ever feel that? Some of you go, yeah, uh, pretty much every day. That's not uncommon. If, if you're really honest, I think you'd admit anxiety is not uncommon. But this is what Paul the Apostle says. He said, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then what's going to happen? It says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So be anxious for nothing. That's the prescription. But how do you do it? Pray. Pray. Prayer makes a difference. So what's the how and the when of prayer? How do we pray and when do we pray? Anytime and all the time. That's what the text said. Pray without ceasing. You can pray while you're in the shower. And pray while you're you're driving. In fact, that's a good idea. Pray when you're driving. 
I, I personally pray a lot that I'll be better at being an undistracted driver. I was an undistracted driver before there were cell phones because I, I just like to watch the sunset if it's off to my left and I'm driving in this direction. I like to know what's going on around me if I'm driving through you know, a rural area and there's pretty farms. I, I just like to see what's going on. And so I have to be especially mindful to be undistracted, and so I'm praying that I'll be a better driver. But you can pray all the time. But also, we wanna learn to pray in solitude. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says this, when you pray, interesting choice of words, isn't it? Not if you pray, when you pray. He says, go into your room. Go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In fact, the King James says he'll reward you openly. Let's take a closer look at what that might look like. When you're alone with God, and this is the practice I'm asking you to tend to, when you're alone with God, and your devices are turned off, and hopefully that's the case, act like he's there. And it would be good to focus on building a relationship with God. That's the primary reason for the Christian life itself. Jesus is himself praying in John 17. He's doing something that we followers of Jesus have called his high priestly prayer. He has represented us before God as a high priest. And he prays and he says to his father, now this is eternal life. Now we hear that phrase in the New Testament and we see that it's associated with being a Christian. It's pretty much the equivalent of saying, I'm a Christian, I have received eternal life. First John says this is the record, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son has not the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So to have eternal life is to be a follower of Jesus. And eternal life isn't something that happens after you die. It's something that happens here in the nasty now and now. And then it continues after we die. But Jesus is saying to his father in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life that they, and he's speaking about his followers, and if you read the whole chapter, you'll see see that he's not only speaking of his first century followers, he's speaking of all people who would become followers through the word of his followers. Now this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus was careful in his choice of words, or at least John was when he wrote this. John the Apostle recorded what Jesus said, and he chose a Greek word, gnosko, which is a word for knowing that includes experiential knowing. The same word is applied to Mary, the mother of Jesus, when it explained that she became pregnant without knowing a man. 
It's referring to the most intimate and experiential kind of knowing that there is. So this is the essence of Christianity, to know God experientially, to sense God, to have him affect your life. Paul said it a little bit differently. He was describing the passion of his life, the driving force of his life in Philippians 3.10, when he said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. You see, people who were reading his letter would have said, well, Paul, you, you know Christ. You're telling us you want to know Christ? But you know him because you're a follower of Jesus. And Paul would have said, we can be confident that he would have said, yeah, I know him, but I want to get to know him better. I want to get to know him better. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, this is to be an experiential religion we have. I want to know him better. Ephesians 1, Paul tells the people of Ephesus in verses 16 through 19 how he's praying for them. He says, I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might gnosko him better, so that you might know him better, so that you might know him intimately and experientially. This is the heart of the Christian life. So some of our time with God Ought to, ought to be devoted to considering that. It would be great to ask the Father in heaven, what does that look like? And Lord, would you captivate my heart? Would you, would you arrest my longings, my devotion? Would you help me to become the person I could never make myself? Talk to him about knowing him better, knowing him experientially, knowing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul prays for the believers at Corinth to experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Also when we pray, we can wrestle with God's purposes and how they intersect with our purpose in life. How do we know about God's purpose? Well, God's purpose can be reduced pretty much to one word, his kingdom. In Matthew 6, when he teaches his own followers to pray, he says, pray this way, pray that your kingdom will come, God's kingdom will come, and his will will be done on earth just the same way it's done in heaven. And you might say, what does that look like? What does the coming or the materialization of God's kingdom and will look like on earth as in heaven, especially in our individual circles of influence? What does that look like? It looks like the king. The coming of the kingdom looks like the king. Who's the king? The king is Jesus. What, what did it look like when Jesus appeared on the scene during the first century? Did it make a difference at all? Yeah, he brought people to himself. He, he assured them that their sins were forgiven. He healed diseases. He delivered people from demonic op oppression. Do you know we need people today to experience forgiveness? We need people today to experience healing and deliverance. You know, I, I never want anyone who struggles with a mental illness to think they, they are in any way less than. Depression can be so debilitating. So can bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder or schizophrenia. I've known too many people, some in my own family, who have experienced things like this. People I care about. 
And while I don't believe every mental illness is an indication of demonic influence, I do believe that the devil does everything he can to make every problem we have worse than it already is. And I long for the day that we Christians will learn how to set the oppressed free. I long for the day when we can lay our hands on people who are struggling with mental illness and command demons that are afflicting them, who are making their condition worse, to leave in the mighty name of Jesus. I long for the day when we'll lay our hands on the sick and and pray and see immediate results, miracles of healing, so that God can get the glory. I'll tell you, people say, well, you know, we're not that kind of church. Every church should be a charismatic church. The New Testament church was a charismatic church. You have to be in denial about the Bible and, and what it says to suggest that it was otherwise in the first century. Every church cast out demons. Every church healed the sick and some of them even raised the dead. We need to understand this is the kingdom. That's, that's what we've gotta be praying for. That's the purpose of God. It's reduced to that word, the kingdom. This is what happens when the king comes. And that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, not your own agenda. Seek first the kingdom, which means seek first the king. Seek first Jesus. And then you might ask, and how does that intersect with God's purposes for me? You know, God has a design for your life. And he won't force it on you because I've come to believe, and I'm sharing this with you, you you don't have to accept what I'm saying. Weigh it against scripture. I've come to believe God is not coercive because of what Paul wrote in Corinthians, that love doesn't insist on its own way. And God is love. He doesn't insist on its own way. According to the book of Luke, it says the scribes and teachers of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. You can reject God's purpose for yourself. And we know God is not intrusive because Jesus stood at the door and knocked. He waited for people to open the door to him. But according to Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, for something special. And as I mentioned last week, Some of you were designed, you were hardwired to be a coach. And you you can make a game-changing difference just by being a coach, being present to people. I've got a buddy who spent 40 years being a custodian in a high school, and believe me, God used him to touch students at that school and coworkers. He He was a representative of Jesus as a custodian in a school. And some of you just have a knack for being a mechanic. Some, some can be an engineer, some a teacher, some a stay-at-home mom. I remember when we started having kids, Laura and I had three kids, and she had been very involved in leadership in many levels in college and beyond. And she was feeling pretty useless in terms of the kingdom. And she said to me one day, what am I doing for the kingdom? Who am I reaching? And I said, I think Sarah, Luke, and Grace. Jude hadn't been born yet. But immediately she said, of course, of course, of course. What could possibly be more important than being a parent? And if you don't get to be a parent, God's got another role for you. Something beautiful, something significant. Ask God to show you, Lord, how have you designed me? 
how have you hardwired me? Temperament, temperament is something that is a part of God's design. It's not something you're going to change. Personality is who we become through socialization, but, but temperament is how God has hardwired us. And you add to temperament gifts and skills, experience, even woundings in life, and God will redeem it all to allow you to make an imprint that no one else actually could make. So when you are alone with that door closed and the device is off and you're having a conversation with God, talk to him about how to get closer to him, how to develop a relationship with him, and wrestle with God's purposes and how they intersect with your own. And then what if you took some time to invite him to influence every area of your life? Think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We talk about it a lot here. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your steps. In all your ways, in everything, every area of your life. God's not uninterested. And and take some time to make some requests. What would you like? Some of you need work. Some of you would like to, to improve in some area. Maybe as an athlete. Maybe in some other way. Maybe as a teacher. At the end of the service, we're gonna pray for everybody who's involved in education, support staff, custodians, teachers, homeschooling people. Certainly students, administrators, the school board. What an opportunity, whether people are at M State or whether they're somewhere else going to school, elementary school, preschool. Make requests. Pray for our nation. Make requests for our nation. You and I don't have to look very far to see that even in our own families, there's people who need miracles. People who need miracles. And what if, what if we spend a little time when we're meeting with God with that door closed, what if we spend a little time just worshiping God? The Bible says in John 4, God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is a relational word. God wants us, when we meet with him, to learn to acknowledge that every good thing we experience is because he's got his eye on us. Now, We experience in this life not only good things, but we get trouble too, don't we? Jesus said, in the world, you have trouble. Thankfully, he added, but be of good share. I've overcome the world. Jesus also said, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. You're going to get trouble in this world because the devil is the God of this world, because he is the thief who came to steal and kill and destroy. But you're also going to experience good because God is good. And he causes his sun to shine and his rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. He's kind to good people and to wicked people, it says. He does not discriminate when it comes to his kindness. So what if we just learn to worship and say, thank you, you're amazing. You're amazing. What if you spent a little time with God every day with that door closed and the devices off and you had a conversation with him that went like I've just described? What if you did that each and every day? How would things be different? What if you do it for a month? How might your life be different? Like in October, a month from today, how might your life be different if you spend a little time every day with God in prayer? I'm going to invite the worship team up, and while they're coming up, I just want to say to each of you, 
whether you're a guest or whether you're a regular, whether you're watching online or you're here, everybody needs Jesus. Would you agree? Do the people who already know Jesus need Jesus? When do you stop needing Jesus? Don't stop needing Jesus. And that's the name you call on when you got, want God to intervene. There's only one name, according to the Bible, there's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. According to the Bible, there's one mediator between God and man, himself, man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, not a way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's Jesus we call on, Jesus Christ. And so I welcome you to call on him right now. Jesus, pray with me, would you? Jesus, cleanse me afresh with your powerful blood. Wash away my sins. Wash away my guilt. Heal my shame. Come into my life. Make me the person I could never make me. And help me to grow in your grace and knowledge. And I ask it in your mighty name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?